0: Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Well, today we continue on in our conversation. It's a mouthful, right? What we talk about when we talk about the gospel. Today we are in Mark chapter 10. So if you have your physical Bible in front of you, I encourage you to open there to Mark chapter 10. This is in the New Testament, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus, about 80% of the way through your physical Bible. Uh, We're going to be in verses 17 through 31. So if you uh, have that, Meet me there. You can also find this on your phone through our app as well and follow along with me. Going to read kind of a long section, so uh, let's get into it. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, even more amazed, and said to each other, Well, then, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter, of course, spoke up and says, "What We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would take all that we bring into this moment, God, the ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows, the questions, the doubts, the anxieties, the wins, All that we experience, would you hold that for us now so that we can be present in this moment, available to hear what you want to say to us. And then give us the courage, God, to respond in whatever ways we need to respond today. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what a story. This story appears in three of the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and then also in Luke. And we're gonna use this story for a moment as a way to review where we were last week in week one of this conversation, and then also where we're going. It's interesting that in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three versions, this story is pretty similar. And in all three versions, this story follows the same scene. It's the scene where Jesus, it is welcoming all these kids, right? All these children are coming to Him, and He's hanging out with them, and the disciples are like, Get away, kids, you're bothering Jesus. And Jesus kind of lays into His disciples, right? Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Fascinating that with all the diversity in the four accounts of Jesus... This story is basically the same three times over. Follows the same scene, walks through the same events all three times. Pay attention to that, as my therapist would say. So the story begins like this, there's this man, right, in some some of the stories he's a young man, a ruler, a rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he asks what is a very classic first century Jewish question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is a great example, a great example of why we need to be guided by Jesus and the scriptures and not by some of the messages that we have absorbed about what the gospel is. Remember, we're talking about this word gospel, which means good news. Last week we learned how the gospel, the good news, is a proclamation of Jesus' kingdom. Now the question that this man is asking is not a question about life after death. He's not asking, how do I get into heaven when I die? This is how we tend to translate it in our brains. Again, especially if we have some church background and experience, if we've uh, been exposed to some of the traditional American ways of gospeling, as we like to say here at Discovery, we almost immediately read this question as, how do I get into heaven? That's not what he's asking. This phrase, eternal life, refers to a quality of life, not a quantity of life. A better translation would be something like this. What do I need to do to live a good life? How do I live in this reality called the kingdom of God? How do I live an eternal kind of life? Right here and right now. Understanding the question this way, I think, helps us understand Jesus' answer better because by our traditional American gospels, Jesus fails this interaction miserably. Thinking back through, right, we talked about the evangelical gospel, the Reformed gospel, the prosperity gospel, the social gospel. Jesus doesn't launch into, hey, let me tell you about heaven and then let's pray this prayer, right, the evangelical gospel. He he doesn't go, hey, have you heard about penal substitutionary atonement theory and the doctrine of justification, right, the Reformed gospel? He doesn't say, look, here's all the blessings that you will receive by believing in me, the prosperity gospel. And he doesn't say, let's go protest Rome together, the social gospel. Now, I'm painting in broad strokes. Those are caricatures for sure. But you get the sense, right? That's where a lot of us, depending on which of those gospels we've maybe been trained in or exposed to, that's where we tend to go. Jesus doesn't do any of those things. In fact, he doesn't even give him an answer at first. He asks him another question. Why do you call me good? Only God is good, which is a big hint a big hint towards where the conversation will land, the relational trajectory of this interaction with this man—it's also a big hint towards Jesus's identity. So he begins with a question, and then he starts naming commandments. And all the reformed and evangelical gospel types faint a little bit here because, wait a minute, we're like, we don't earn our salvation. What? What is he doing? Why is he talking about the commandments? What? And then the man responds with this very bold statement, I, I, I've done all those, like I've kept all of those since I was a boy. Now, you would think, okay, here's the setup then for Jesus to start talking about death, about sin, about how nobody's perfect, not even one, about justification, faith alone, all those kinds of things. It doesn't go into that. The next thing this story says, though, is that Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is, I think, the most important part of the story. If there's nothing else you hear today, see this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. In our culture, love tends to be uh, warm fuzzies, you know, uh, affirmation of any life decision or choice. But Jesus looks at him and loves him, and then he challenges the heck out of him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Which again, thinking back through those four American Gospels, go sell everything, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then follow me. Right? The man leaves sad. He leaves sad because he's got a lot of stuff, right? Mark 10, 22. Jesus keeps going, looks around at his disciples and says, whew, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed at his words. They're amazed at his words because in their conception, their theology, if anybody was blessed, if anybody had access to the kingdom of God, it was the rich because clearly God had shown favor on them. Clearly they were in right relationship with God. That's why they had all this stuff. But Jesus is like, nope. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The, the disciples are amazed. Jesus said again, children. Remember, this is, he, this is right after the section where he says, let the little children come to me. You have to enter the kingdom like a child. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there are a lot of interpretations of what Jesus says here, particularly the whole eye, eye of the needle, camel bit, a lot of different... Ways to look at that. I would, suggest, I would suggest that Jesus is very simply saying this. You cannot fully participate in the kingdom if you worship a different king. Let me say that again. You cannot fully participate in the kingdom of God if you worship a different king. Now the story ends <coughs> with you know, this whole thing. The disciples are even more amazed they, they ask, well, who can be saved? And again, this is not about who gets into heaven. This is about how do, who gets into the kingdom. How do, how do you participate in the kingdom of God? If, if that guy can't do it, if it's that hard to get in, who could do this? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter says, but hey, we've left everything to follow you. And then Jesus says, you're going to receive so much more. By, by following me, by leaving everything behind, you are going to receive so much more. Uh, which sounds like the prosperity gospel, right? Except Jesus throws in this, along with persecutions, you're going to receive so much more in this life and in the next life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. So, throughout the story, we see Jesus overlapping with some of the common gospels of today. He is at the center of the whole thing, right? Just like Reformed and Evangelical gospelers like to to see. But he also talks about giving to the poor, right? That's very social gospel type language. He also talks about reward, receiving back many times over, right? Prosperity gospel language. So he overlaps with some of them, but he also subverts them. The tangible response to sell your stuff, to obey the commandments, that tweaks the reformed and evangelical gospelers, the hundred times more persecutions, hard for the prosperity gospelers to hear, the personal loving call to follow Him, right pushing on that social gospel perspective. The kingdom gospel is more interesting and mysterious and loving and challenging. It's bigger than we often allow it to be. And this is a review again of last Sunday. The the kingdom gospel is big enough to make sense of reality and it's big enough for our entire lives to get caught up in it. Now one last thing about this scene. The commandments that Jesus names are very interesting, right? It's not the full list. He left out a couple of important ones, namely the first two have no other gods before Yahweh and don't make idols. We talk about this a lot here at Discovery, but the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships with each other, with people, but also with God. The point here of this interaction with this man is Jesus is not laying out a formula for how we respond to him. We don't all need to sell our stuff, although for some of us that might be a good move. The deeper question that is happening here when Jesus looks at this man and loves him, what he's really asking him is, hey, what has captured your heart? Who is the ultimate authority in your life? Who or what is your king? You want to you wanna live in the kingdom of God? You need to allow me, Jesus, to be your king. Now what I love about this and just about scripture in general is that it doesn't tie a bow on the story at all. We're not totally sure what happens after this. Does the man leave sad because he knows he can't do it? Like there's no way I can sell all my stuff. How am I ever, ever going to do that? Or does he leave sad Because he knows he is going to do it. (laughs) And he knows that it's going to hurt. He knows he's going to do it, but man, he really loves his flat screen TV. That's going to be a hard one to let go of. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that Jesus went right to the heart of the issue. Right to this man's need to wrestle with the question that we all need to wrestle with. Will we let Jesus be our King? Will we let Jesus be our king or will we settle for a different king? Now, if you still have your Bible open, flip over in the New Testament to Philippians chapter 2. We get this amazing insight in Philippians chapter 2 into some of the theology of the early church. Philippians 2 verse 6, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and you can put King in there for Lord Jesus is King to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is King. But He becomes King in this strange and surprising way. He becomes King by dying, by giving Himself away, by by emptying himself, by overcoming death through his own death and the power of his resurrection. Now, next week, a little teaser. We're going to talk more. We're going to have a lot more to say about resurrection. But for now, I just want us to see that trajectory. Jesus becomes king through humility. King over everything by giving himself away. Exalted by going down, authority comes through his suffering and death and self-emptying. This is the unmatchable beauty of Jesus. The stunning good news of Jesus. This is why Jesus is worth worthy of selling everything we have, worthy of destroying every idol, worthy of renouncing all other allegiances. Jesus is King, not Caesar. Jesus is King, not the president of the United States. Jesus is King, not fill in the blank with whatever else we might put in that place. Jesus is King and he is a gentle, humble, loving, gracious King who wants to be with us, who wants to know us, who gave it all up in order to be with us. But he's also, He's also powerful and authoritative, exalted above all. And He invites us, He challenges us to leave it all behind and to follow Him with everything we've got. This view of Jesus counters some of our popular notions of Him, right? Jesus as our homeboy. Jesus as political revolutionary. Jesus as motivational guru. No, this Jesus, or this is Jesus, as the ultimate authority on reality. Jesus the King reigning over all of us. And it's beautiful, good news, the best news possible that there is such a good King. But the truth, the reality that there is such a good king, it does change everything. It does demand a response. Will we give King Jesus authority over our lives, even if it costs us something, even if it costs us everything? How then should we respond to this? To this gospel, this good news of the king and his kingdom. Well, as Jesus himself says, it begins with repentance. Back to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. begins with repentance. Now, too many of us carry around this idea of repentance as listing out all the bad things that we've done when it simply means to turn around and choose a new direction, to live by a new story. For the young man, this is the point of crisis for him. Who is his king? You have to make a decision at some point. This is where all, the, all four gospelers will agree. You have to make a decision. Will I follow King Jesus? Will I live in his kingdom? Or will I follow some other king? Will I live by some other story? Will I give my heart to some other authority? The decision is part of it, but it's not the only part of it. I want us to think about these, these responses as a Venn diagram. That idea of following, it speaks to another aspect of our response, which is the direction that our life is heading. Responding to the gospel is not purely transactional. It's not, I'll believe this and Jesus gives me this. No, it is directional. The belief, the change of heart is demonstrated in the direction that we go. Sell everything and follow Jesus. Or will we keep heading down the same old path? Following journeying, apprenticing our lives under the gentle leadership of King Jesus. Repentance is about choosing a new direction, but then we must actually move in that direction. And that leads to the final piece here. We have a decision, a direction, and a dedication. The good news is that this King and His kingdom come to us as a gift, as a grace. It is to be received. This is what Jesus is saying. We can't force our way or or earn our way into it. We receive it as a gift. We enter it like a child. But it's not a gift that we take and we put away in a cupboard somewhere. It's a gift that we immerse ourselves in. So the good news is that Jesus is king and he builds his kingdom, but the kingdom is not a spectator sport. We help, we participate in Davis as it is in heaven. And so dedication is the long obedience in that same direction. One step closer to Jesus. And then the next day, one step closer to Jesus. Wholeheartedness. The gritty resilience that comes from practicing the ways of Jesus over and over and over again. That might feel daunting or, or uh, something like that, but you can receive the gift and start at any time. And if you need to, you can start over at any time. So, decision, direction, direction. Dedication. Where are you this morning? Do you need to decide? Do you need to declare, Jesus is my King? Do you need to start moving? Do you need to start taking those steps in this new direction? Again, one step closer to Him. Do you need to dedicate yourself to the Kingdom, to participation, right? to helping bring Heaven here to Davis, in Davis as it is in Heaven? We're going to take communion and close uh, with one more song. So, we'll, so grab your elements. As you take those today, as you, you, you reflect on this again, do you need to decide? Do you need to move in a new direction? Do you need to dedicate yourself to the kingdom? And then when you're ready, take the body and blood of Jesus, our King. Let's go out with these words of blessing over us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Grace and peace, friends.